First John chapter 2, beginning at verse 18. Last week we talked about the levels of spiritual development and how important it is for us to grow as Christians. And we want to continue on that theme because our spiritual growth will keep us in fellowship with God. But our spiritual growth also will give us discernment. And we desperately need a growing discernment in our lives as believers. And we're going to see tonight that that growing discernment is going to help us to know the times we live in, to know the truth that we need to know in the times in which we live, and to be able to stay on track as a believer in Jesus Christ. In fact, you'll notice he starts out in verse 18 using the word children, reminding us that no matter what level we are in our spiritual development, we're still prone to deception. And we, like a child, need to continue to grow to the point where we're not as easily deceived, we're not as gullible, we're not as naive, because there's so many voices, so many people talking to us, speaking to us, that, that many times, even as Christians, we're like, how do we know who to listen to? And, and God, how do we cut through all of the voices to be able to hear your voice in my life? How do we do that? And I just think the way we do that is just to continue to grow in our relationship with the Lord. You'll notice in verse 26 of chapter 2 that John even says, these things tonight that we're going to be looking at, these things I have written to you about those who are trying to deceive you. So back when we first started this study several weeks ago, we saw in verse 4 of chapter 1 that one of the main purposes John had for writing this was so that our joy could be full, that we could truly have fellowship with God and experience a joy of, of seeing God invited into every fabric and aspect of our lives and to really understand what that meant on that level. But now in chapter 2, John says, the other main purpose I have for writing this book is because I want to warn you that as children of God, no matter where we are at, that one of the reasons why we need to continue to grow is because at every level of history, and especially in the times in which we live, there are people out there who are purposefully trying to deceive us. And Satan himself and all of the demonic realm and the world system that is anti-God is out there to deceive us. So we need to, in a sense, have our spiritual radars working. We need to have that, that sense, if you will, of, of what God is saying and to be able to cut through all of the voices and truly hear the voice of God like never before. Because... When we begin to grow and continue to grow as Christians, and when our discernment spiritually continues to rise, one of the things that's going to happen is we will know the times in which we're living. Look back then at verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have appeared. We know from this that it is the last hour. 
Now, many Christians read this and go, last hour, that was 2,000 years ago. What are you talking about, John? Well, in the Bible, let's not forget that the Bible says that a day is like a 1,000 years to God. And a 1,000 years like a day. And the Bible taught us that ever since Jesus came, we are living in what God calls the last days. Read Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, where the writer says, God at various times and in various ways spoke to the prophets, or spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, but in these last days has spoken to us by his Son. So from God's perspective, we've been living in the last days, or God categorizes Everything from Jesus coming to earth as the last days. So, from again, from God's perspective, we've been living in the last days now for 2,000 years. But we are also, because we're 2,000 years even further along from when Jesus came, living in now the last hours of the last days, leading to the culmination of history as we know it from the Bible perspective. And John is saying that when you and I grow as Christians and we have our spiritual radar working, and our discernment is growing, we will know the times in which we're living. And knowing those times is going to help us navigate those times. Because knowing the times we live in should not cause us to be fearful. It should not cause us as Christians to crawl under a rock and just keep praying for Jesus to come. No, knowing the times in which we live, they are going to be challenging, no doubt about it. But also knowing the times in which we live and the truth accompanied with it, know that we can with God meet those challenges as we lock arms and arms with God in fellowship with Him. We're able to meet whatever challenges these last hours and last days bring us. In fact, you'll notice, and I realize I'm getting a little ahead, I'll come back, but in verse 19, one of the characteristics of these times in which we live is that there will be a lot of what I call rogue followers of God. And whether they really are or not, the the, the idea is that they will not stay in fellowship with a community of believers. They sort of want to go out there and, and do their own thing and be on their own and not be accountable to anyone and not, you know, take or do what it takes to be part of a community, a family, a household of God. Yeah, there's struggles. Yeah, we have our differences. Yeah, we have to work through things just like a family does. But that's what God created the church to be, is a place where we could come together and work through things together instead of being out there on our own. But as we move through history, and as we work through these times in which we find ourselves, notice in verse 19, John says that one of the characteristics is people will go out from us, out from the fellowship. And remember, chapter 1 was all about God created us to be in fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. They will go out from us, but they did not really belong to us because if they belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But they went out from us to demonstrate that all of them do not belong to us. And we've got to realize that in the times in which we live that there's a growing number of people who are going to claim to be part of the family of God, part of the body of Christ, but they're not. And that's what causes a lot of confusion spiritually. Because you have people within the church who come to a church who are part of a community of believers 
And some of them really are Christians. They're really followers of Christ. Others just are confessing that they are, but they're really not. And then you've got Christians who act like people who aren't Christians. So it just adds to the confusion. John is saying that when you and I grow up in our relationship with Christ and we begin to get this discernment, those kind of things aren't going to rock our world. They're not going to shake us up. They're not going to, you know, rattle us, if you will, spiritually, because we are going to know the time in which we are living and the times in which we are living. You'll notice back up again in verse 18 that he talks about the last hour being the fact that the Antichrist is getting ready to come. The Antichrist is certainly that one person that the Bible calls the man of sin, the man of lawlessness, Satan's final world leader, if you will. Okay, my personal belief, you don't have to believe this yourself, but just my personal belief I don't think I'm going to know who the Antichrist is. I think that the rapture of the church is going to happen before the Antichrist is brought onto the world stage. I don't even think I'm going to know who. So when I hear Christians debating, even down through history, about who the Antichrist is. The Antichrist in this time of history was this guy. The Antichrist, it only makes us look bad and foolish when we go out as Christians. I think that person's the Antichrist. First of all, if God really wanted us to know him by name, he would have said his name to us. That wasn't the important thing. The important thing is just to know that the Antichrist is coming one day. But more important for you and I living in the times in which we're living isn't trying to figure out who the Antichrist is. Notice in verse 18, but realizing that now many Antichrists have appeared. In fact, if you go over to 1 John chapter 4 verse 3... Notice in that verse that John is saying that even now the spirit of Antichrist already exists in the world. That even before the Antichrist proper comes, that the spirit of Antichrist and that many Antichrists, in fact, Jesus even said, he said, don't be misled. There will be many who say, I am Christ, and they will mislead many. He said, Don't get shook up about that. And and let's remember, too, what antichrist literally means. It doesn't mean necessarily against Christ as much as it does instead of Christ. In other words, the whole concept of the spirit of antichrist is just, just to bring things into our life that will distract us from keeping our focus on Jesus Christ. That's really what Antichrist is. The Antichrist isn't, Satan's not going to come into our lives and go, I'm the Antichrist, do this, you know. No. The Antichrist and the spirit of Antichrist and the way Satan works as a deceiver, as one who deceives, is he's going to come into our life and go, hey, isn't that good, Jeff? Don't you you want to get involved in that, Jeff? That's good. And then like a, you know, almost like a dog, yeah, I'll go after that. And here's Jesus. And, and I've lost my focus on Jesus and I've lost my eyes on Jesus because now I'm over here chasing this thing. That's what Satan tries to do. It, the, the spirit of Antichrist is just getting us distracted, getting us off, centering our lives on Jesus Christ and realizing that Jesus Christ is absolutely all that we need. Because the spirit of Antichrist will come into our life at all times throughout our life and go, it's great that you have Jesus, but how about this too? Won't that make your life better? Go after that. Go after that. And that's the spirit of Antichrist. 
fact, to show you how Jesus even wanted his people to know the times in which they were living and to have that kind of spiritual discernment through their spiritual growth. Keep your finger in first John. We'll eventually come back there tonight and go back to the gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 12. Jesus illustrates it this way in Luke chapter 12, verse 54. Jesus also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a rainstorm is coming. And it does. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat. And there is. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. But how can you not know how to interpret the present time? See, no matter what time in history we are living, God expects his people to have enough spiritual discernment to know the times in which they're living in. And as even we said last week, to grow in our understanding of the Bible to the point where what happens in the world and, and, and what is happening around us and all of that is not going to shake us or rattle us because we know the times in which we're living. We know what needs to happen and where God is moving this all to. So we're not living in fear and we're not shaken up by the things that we hear that happens at times. That doesn't bother us because our stability, again, isn't in anything temporal or in the world anyway. It's in Jesus Christ, our rock. So Jesus said, you need to know the times. If you can look at the sky and you can figure out the weather, then as a growing Christian that is growing in your discernment of spiritual things, you and I should be able to know the times in which we are living. And what should be happening? And what should we be looking for? And how all the, we should have a basic understanding of these things. And not get way off course. Again, that's one of the great incentives for us to spiritually grow. Because I, I tell people all the time, you know, you would save yourself a lot of heartache and a, a lot of sleepless nights and worry and fretting and all of that if you maybe just had a little bit more discernment in your life to know the times in which you were living so that the things that were happening around you did not upset you. You knew they were going to happen and you were prepared for them and knew that it was just part of God's plan. That's what God is saying can happen to us when we stay in fellowship with him, grow and grow in discernment. And then go over to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3. Here's another passage that tells us the characteristics of the last days. And, and, and what the Bible simply teaches us is that, look, there's always been these characteristics in the world, but that as we approach the last hours of the last days before Jesus returns, all of these things are going to grow in intensity. So that, for instance, the deception that we talked about, that John talked about, I'm writing these things to you so that those who are trying to deceive you won't be able to. So they were trying to deceive Christians in John's day. But what I'm saying is that the Bible teaches that now 2,000 years later, guess what? The deception's off the chart. The, the deception's even way higher and more intense. Satan knows that his time is short. So he's going to really be out there deceiving and all of that even more to a heightened degree than he ever did 2,000 years ago. So Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, understand this, that in the last days 
difficult times will come. Well, there's a revelation. And yet there's some Christians like, we're going through difficult days. God must not be on the throne. There's something wrong. What's going on? He's lost the handle. No, he told us in the last days, difficult times. And here's why. Why difficult days will come? If you read these next verses, it's because of the lack of integrity, character, and morality amongst people as we move through history. That the the further we go in history, it, it just... What, what ends up, in a sense, disintegrating our society is our society disintegrates from within because of the lack of character, integrity, and morality. Countries won't need other countries like they did in ancient history to come in and attack them and overtake them from outside because even like many of the mighty empires down through history, before that ever happened, they began to disintegrate from inside. And become weak internally. So notice, Paul says, For people will be lovers of themselves. Narcissistic, as I've said. People today think they are the belly button of the universe. You know, the world exists for me. And more and more people in the world feel that way or live that way. That's part of what makes life so challenging. It's because we as Christians are called to lay down our lives and to live selflessly and unselfishly. And you can see how those two kind of lifestyles are going to collide. Here we've got this person over here who's just living for themselves and this person over here is trying to live for others. Boom. You, You can see the contrast there. Lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, savage, opposed to what is good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, loving pleasure rather than loving God. Notice they will maintain the outward appearance of religion, but will have repudiated its power. So avoid people like these. A powerless religion. People who are religious, but who don't have a true relationship with Jesus Christ where there's power behind it. That's when you know God is in it, when there's spiritual power there. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4.20, the kingdom of God is not an idle talk. It is in power. God wants to bring power to his people. Power in his people. That's the reality of our spiritual walk. So we can begin to see why the days are going to be more and more difficult. And if you just turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 3, look at verse 13. But evil people and charlatans will go from bad to worse, deceiving others and being deceived themselves. Wow. God is saying, know the times. And as we grow as Christians, and as we understand the Bible better, and as we heighten our spiritual discernment and insight and sensitivity, we will begin to know the times in which we live, and they will not discourage us. They will not cause any fear. In fact, in a weird sort of way, they should excite us, because it's going to give you and I as Christians that opportunity to truly show a contrast 
and truly be those lights that can light up in the darkness of the world. God also wants us to know this. Turn back then left again, back to 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we're going to see here the spirit of the Antichrist that's already existing in the world today. Because Paul even said back in his day in 2 Corinthians eleven three, But I am afraid that just as the serpent deceived Eve by his treachery, your minds may be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. There it is. That's the spirit of the Antichrist. Satan won't come at us with a frontal attack and go, This is evil, Jeff. You need to do this. No, all Satan's going to try to do is distract me from the one and only one that I need in my life, Jesus Christ, and get me to go after something else in my life instead of centering my life on Jesus and continuing to focus on him. And to show you again in this context that this is the way Satan works, go over a little bit further into chapter 11 and look at verses 13, 14, and 15. Where Paul writes, for such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness whose end will correspond to their actions. Don't miss what. The Bible is saying there, this is why we desperately need to grow up as Christians and to get people into Bible studies and to truly understand the Bible and grow in our discernment. Because, folks, we are living at the height of the world of deception. And, and Satan is even more that angel of light. And, and, and sending his ministers into people's lives as ministers of righteousness. Oh, it looks good. Man, that sounds awful good. Remember something, a lie needs truth as a handle to it. So Satan always mixes truth with error. He never comes at us 100% error because he knows we'll pick that up, no problem. But where he can get a lot of Christians is mixing 5% error with 95% truth. And if Christians aren't growing in their discernment, then they swallow it hook, line, and sinker. And guess what? That 5% error can do a lot of damage in our lives. And that's how Satan operates. It's like I tell people all the time, if I had a bottle at home and it was dark and it had a skull and crossbones on it and said poison, I probably wouldn't be dumb enough to pick it up and drink it. But if I have a gallon of milk at home with a couple drops of clear poison in it, I'll probably drink it, not even think about it until it's too late and the poison's in my system doing damage. That's the way Satan operates. That's why John wrote this passage. Because he says, Satan and, and, and all his ministers are out there. And they are purposefully trying to deceive us as Christians. To get us to not experience the life at its fullest that God wants us to have. To not experience that fullness of joy. So Satan is going to try to counterfeit and substitute the best that God offers with something less. Except that he's going to say, oh, this is just as good. Or life is incomplete without that. And he wants us to leave Christ and go after it. 
Remember, Antichrist isn't so much against Christ as it is instead of Christ. He wants us to substitute something in our life for Jesus. To not find our all in all in him, but to try to figure fulfillment and satisfaction is going to come from some other source other than just through Jesus Christ. That's how Satan operates. And John is saying, I'm writing this to you so that you'll know the times in which, and you know that we all need to be on the lookout for this because it's happening, folks. Christians are being led away from Christ on a daily basis because they don't have the spiritual discernment they need and they don't have those spiritual fathers and mothers and aunts and uncles in their lives to help them navigate those younger years when they are more vulnerable, just like physical children are more vulnerable at that time. They're not part of a family of God. They're not part of a church or community. So they're out there trying to navigate it on their own. And they're like prey to a lion. They're, they're, they would be like, you know, some, some weak uh, animal on the African plain. And there's the king of beasts. And they are no match at that point. That's why God calls us to come into community. And to be together. And to fellowship with each other. And to grow in our understanding, so that we're not one of those casualties that have been deceived by the angels of light. Finally, let's go back to 1 John, at least for two minutes. So, our spiritual growth helps us to grow in our discernment, which is going to prevent us from being deceived because of the times in which we are living. And we will know the times in which we're living because of our spiritual discernment and growth. But it doesn't stop there. Our growth also helps us to know the truth. And to be able to nail that down so that we can differentiate between the truth and error. Verse 20. John, 1 John 2 verse 20. Nevertheless, you have an anointing from the Holy One. And you all know... I've not written to you that you do not know the truth, but that you do know it, and no lie is of the truth. Now notice also, again, I'm just going to mention this like I did up in the other passage. In verse 22 and 23, one of the characteristics of knowing truth from error is finding out what the people truly believe about Jesus. Because notice in verse 22 and 23, it's really about getting Jesus right. Remember, again, that's one of the main reasons why John wrote this. Because he wanted to set the record straight concerning Jesus Christ because there was a lot of false teaching and false doctrine out there about who Jesus was and what he was all about. And John, being the closest disciple to Jesus on earth, was moved by the Holy Spirit to write these words so that he could set the record straight concerning Jesus Christ. But it goes beyond that. It goes to also knowing the truth so that we can discern all truth from error. Now... In our day and age, we have to stop for a moment and talk about that because we live in a day and an age where a lot of people question whether there is any absolute truth. So when they see something like that, they're going to they're gonna balk against that anyway because oh, th there is no absolute truth. Everything is relative. We all just sort of figure out what's right for us. That's, that's the human way apart from God. But God has revealed in his word, no, 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 folks, there is absolute truth, which means also then there's absolute error. 
And God wants us to grow in our understanding and discernment so that we can begin to know the truth that Jesus says in John chapter 8 will truly set us free to become all that God created us to be. Now notice in verse 20, he talks about this anointing. And people really get a lot of strange interpretations about this anointing. First of all, there are some people that believe that only certain Christians have the anointing. No, I believe it's very clear that every Christian has the anointing. Why? Because the anointing is the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. In fact, notice this over in verse 27 where John alludes to this when he says, Now as for you, the anointing that you receive from him resides in you. Remember Jesus said that he was going to, when he went away, he was going to send the Holy Spirit. And that the Holy Spirit would not just be with us, would be in us. And then in John 16, 13, Jesus says this to his disciples, that I'm going to send to you the Spirit of truth, and he will guide you into all truth. And the reason you and I as Christians can know truth and know the difference between truth and error and be able to make that difference is because of the presence and ministry of the Holy Spirit who's always in us, abiding in us. Notice he goes on in verse 27 to say too, you have no need for anyone to teach you. Now I'm not just saying this because it's self-serving, but don't just leave right now. Because again, many look at that and go, oh, I don't need to listen to any Bible teachers. No, the Bible clearly teaches us that God gifts and calls people to teach the Word of God. What he is saying there is ultimately, ultimately, our teacher should not be anybody who's flesh and blood. That again, ultimately, our teacher should be the Holy Spirit of God who wrote the Bible. That ultimately, we should not land on a particular interpretation or doctrine or belief or anything based upon some kind of pressure that some pastor or preacher on television or book or author or whatever they are. Because why? Because again, remember, Satan works as an angel of light. His ministers come at us as apostles of Christ. That's why I tell people, folks, just practically, just for me, when I walk into a Christian bookstore, can I just tell you that about 60% of the books on the shelves at Christian bookstores, I wouldn't even pick up. We, we have to have discernment. Just because someone says, I'm a Christian, just because something is, is put in a Christian bookstore doesn't mean it's solid biblically. It might be way off base. And I've got to let the Holy Spirit be the final authority of leading me to true truth. That's why he goes on to say in verse 27, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, it is true and it is not a lie just as it has taught you, reside in him. And let the Holy Spirit truly be the one to guide you. And again, notice in verse 21, I've not written to you, John says, so that you do not know the truth, but that you do know it. And we can differentiate truth from error. And the more we grow, and the greater our discernment spiritually gets, the more we will be able to go, up. Oh, oh, that, that doesn't smell right. That eh, doesn't look right. That doesn't pass the test. 
Because the Bible says God wants us to test the spirits. In fact, go over to 1 John 4.1, since we're right there. Notice what John says. 1 John 4.1, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to determine if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And then, go back to the Gospel of John, chapter 17. Great verse. Especially for someone that, you know, obviously we're trying to exalt the Bible and the importance of the Bible at a place like the mine. So God gives us the Spirit of God, which is a great sort of radar system, if you will, internally that helps me to determine truth from error. But then he also gives us the Bible. And that's why in John 17, 17, notice Jesus says, set them apart in the truth. Your word is truth. That's why we want to get people into the Bible. Because God's word is truth. And the more we know the truth, the more the error when it comes will show up. It's like in Washington, D.C., when they train people to identify counterfeit bills. They've been trained so well in what the real bill looks like that when the counterfeit comes across, they can immediately identify it. That's what God wants his people to do with the word of God, the truth. To become so familiar, not with error, but to become so familiar with the truth that when error comes across our radar, it's like, ah, no, that's not right. That's not what the Bible says. That's why God wants us to know the truth. And the one place in this world that we should be able to go to hear the truth and find the truth is the church. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Sad to say, though, there are many churches that you and I could attend where the Bible is never opened. It's never cracked. The truth is never preached. The truth is never taught. And yet one of the main purposes for the church was to be a place that supported and defended the truth of God. In other words, God was saying, the one place I should be able to find my truth is at churches. That Yeah, it might be hard to hear the truth of God out there in the world somewhere, but if I'm looking for truth, I should be able to come to a church, and I should be able to hear the truth. Notice in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 is where I'll begin. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these instructions to you in case I am delayed to let you know how people ought to conduct themselves in the household of God. Because it is the church of the living God, notice, the support and bulwark of the truth. A bulwark is a defense that was set up. That's what the church should be. First of all, the truth is independent of the church. The church didn't come up with the truth. The truth is embodied in Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The truth is embodied in God. But God then revealed his truth, entrusted us as his people to the truth, and now wants us to support it, to teach it, to defend it. And God is simply saying that people ought to be able to come to church and hear the truth. Because notice he goes on in verse 16 to say, we agree our religion contains amazing revelation." He was revealed in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among Gentiles, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. 
There is so much good truth out there that we need to share. But notice in the context, the very next verse at the beginning of the next chapter. It's no accident. Now the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times, some will desert the faith and occupy themselves with deceiving spirits and demonic teachings. That's why we need to grow. That's why we need to encourage Christians to grow. Because the Bible predicts that we are living in a heightened age of deception like never before in history. And instead of shrinking from it, we as Christians just need to get into the Word and grow in our discernment and our understanding and then help those children in Christ who are more vulnerable, who aren't grounded and rooted in Christ yet, in order to prevent them from being led away by these deceiving spirits and demonic teachings. In fact, if you go over to 2 Timothy, chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, just one more book. Notice Paul tells Timothy, this young preacher in chapter 4, verse 2, preach the word, preach the message. We didn't invent the message as preachers, we're just supposed to proclaim it. We're not supposed to come up with something new. It's already been given to us, everything we need. We just need to proclaim it, and the church should be the place where we hear it. And here's why, verse 3, for there will be a time when people will not tolerate sound teaching. Instead, following their own desires, they will accumulate teachers for themselves because they have an insatiable curiosity to hear new things. That's what they're, see, Satan, distraction. Hey, Jeff, over here is something new. Oh, something new. Wait a minute. I've got Jesus Christ in my life. I've got the Bible. Do Is there anything that they're going to promise me new that Jesus Christ and my relationship with God and fellowship with him and the Bible can't give me? And yet, see, that's that's what they're counting on. They're counting on being able to always market that next new thing. And guess what? People will chase after it. We've got Christ. What more do we need than Jesus Christ? What can this something new provide us that Jesus Christ cannot give us? And yet that's what they do. Notice verse 3 or 4. They will turn away from hearing the truth. But on the other hand, they will turn aside to miss. Wow. Turn away from the truth. That's why we need to keep growing. So that we will be grounded in the truth. Be able to know the truth through the ministry of the Holy Spirit who's given to us. The anointing that God gives us. We always have the Holy Spirit with us. He will guide us into all truth. He will be that system internally. But then God also gives us the Bible. And the more we learn and study the Bible and understand the Bible, the more we will be able to differentiate truth from error when those deceivers and deceptors and angels of light come around. And we won't be sucked away. Like the Bible says, many will in the last days. So, back to 1 John chapter 2. God wants us to continue to grow so that we can grow in our discernment, so that we can know the times in which we're living, verses 18 and 19 of 1 John chapter 2, and so that we can know the truth apart from error, verses 20, 21, 22, 
23 and 27. But in closing tonight, I want us to look at verses 24, 25, and 26. Where the other piece about growing and continuing to grow helps us out is to stay on track. Again, not to get off track and get distracted by all these voices that we hear out there. That's why John says in 1 John 2, 24, As for you, what you have heard from the beginning must remain in you. If what you heard from the beginning remains in you, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. Now this is the promise that he himself made to us, eternal life. These things I've written to you about those who are trying to deceive you. See, John is saying there in verse 24 that the truth that brought me to Christ in the first place, that the truth that I settled on to become a Christian, that Jesus Christ was God, that he died for my sins, that, that he is my all in all, that, that he's everything that I need, that, that I never need to get to a point in life that no matter how well it's packaged, no matter how cleverly Satan's advertisement scheme is, that I won't go after something new or something new and improved, if you will, following the advertising slogans, because if I have Jesus you can't improve on Jesus. You, you can't add to Jesus. So I just need to, to, to be rooted and grounded in what I already have and not think somehow that what I've got in Jesus is somehow deficient or not sufficient to meet every need of my life. See, that's Satan's strategy. He won't come at us as Christians and go get rid of Jesus. What he will do is come at us as Christians and go, hey, it's, it's nice you have Jesus, but how about having this too? How about adding this along with Jesus? How about that? What's, what, what's so bad about that? I'm not asking you to get rid of Jesus. I'm just adding, asking you to add something to him. But the moment we add anything or anyone to Jesus, then what we're really saying is, Jesus, you're not sufficient to meet all the needs of my life. I need you plus someone else or something else. And the Bible clearly teaches from Genesis to Revelation the principle of Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. See, if the Lord's truly my shepherd and I'm following him as an obedient sheep, he's got me covered. I'm totally fulfilled and satisfied in Christ alone. There is nothing outside of Christ that I could ever be offered but remember, going back to the strategy of Satan, it's exactly how it started in the garden. Come on, Eve. Come on, Adam. God's holding out on you over here. You really need this in order to experience life. And they forfeited what real life was going for the substitute or counterfeit. That's what Satan is. A master substituter or counterfeiter. And it's always less than what God can give us. He promises us more, but he delivers less. So God wants us to stay on track with what we already have. A couple passages in closing tonight to illustrate this. Go back to the book of Galatians. To Galatians chapter 5 and verse 7. 
And the reason I picked these passages is because they illustrate the whole idea of sort of a race and getting off track, if you will, or being on a path and not staying on that path, but again, somehow being lured off the path. Notice in Galatians 5, verse 7, Paul says to the Galatian Christians, You were running well. Who prevented you from obeying the truth or continuing down the same path? In fact, in the Greek original language, it literally is, Who cut in front of you while you were running? Who who cut in there and caused you to veer a little bit off of the path that you were on? Paul says, Who did that? Because notice he goes on in verse 8 to say, this persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. And then he uses an illustration from baking. A little yeast makes the whole batch of dough rise. Going back to that little bit of air mixed in with truth. That's the way Satan works. And all it takes is a little bit of yeast in that big thing of dough to make a big difference. And Satan, again, will never come at us with 100% error. He knows every Christian, even baby Christians, can get that. But what Satan will do is come at us with 75% uh, truth and 25% error, 80% truth and 20% error. He just wants to mix enough truth in there to get us to bite, but also swallow the error with it, knowing that when we do and digest it, We're going to go off the path. And then, the book of Colossians. Just over a couple books through Ephesians, Philippians, to the book of Colossians. I love this passage. Colossians chapter 2, beginning at verse 6. Paul says, Therefore, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue. And that word is continuously Continue to live your lives in him. That is exactly what John meant in 1 John. When he said, what was in you from the beginning, let it remain in you. Continue to follow Christ. Don't don't get lured off of the path from following Christ. No matter how anyone packages it. Notice verse 7. Here's the importance of getting people grounded in the word and built up. Rooted and built up in him. And firm in your faith just as you were taught. Folks, that's why like Bible studies like the mine are so huge. Because God wants us to learn line upon line, precept upon precept, verse by verse, his word. So that we can be rooted and grounded and strong in the word. So that we're not deceived. So that we don't experience less of life than God wants us to experience. Because we just weren't grounded. We weren't growing. We didn't have the discernment that we should have had. Or someone looking out for us who does have that discernment. Notice verse 8. Be careful not to allow anyone to captivate you through an empty, deceitful philosophy that is according to human traditions and the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Because here it all is. For in Him, Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And verse 10, and you 
Meaning, we as Christians have been filled in Him. See, if we allow Christ to fill us up, then there's no room for the allurements that Satan has out there. That there's no room in our life for, for Satan to get us distracted with something else. If we've truly come to a point as a Christian where we are filled up in Christ, where we can honestly say, I have Jesus, there's nothing else that I need in my life. And sometimes we all know that we've gotten to the point in our life where all that we had was Christ so that we could acknowledge and realize that he was all that we needed anyway. That everything else was stripped from us, everything was taken from us, we had nothing else but Jesus, and then we realized... You know what, though? Guess what? It's not so bad because I've got everything because I got Jesus. That's why we need to continue to grow. Because we all need to get to that place and stay there. Rooted, grounded, firm in our faith. Folks, we we live in an age, even amongst Christians, even in churches, where Christians are just so shaken by everything and, and, and so not understanding. Uh, their, Bi- their Bible understanding is so weak and so shallow that everything that comes along in life and everything that comes along in their own life just so rattles and shakes them to the very core. And listen, I'm not saying that there aren't times in our life that our faith is going to be tested. It is. But God just wants us to continue to grow to the point where, especially with what's happening in the world, especially with the times in which we are living, that we don't allow these things to shake us and rattle us, but that we are firm in our faith and we're trusting God and we truly believe that He's still on the throne, that Jesus is coming, that everything that's happening is all part of God's sovereign plan, that he's moving this world and all of this to a final culmination stage and actually to be a part of it and to be living in the day and age in which we live, I'm actually so glad that out of all the times in history, God gave me the privilege of living in this time. Because I want to tell you, it may be the most challenging time to be a Christian in history, but I wouldn't want to be alive at any other time in history. Because I think it's also the most exciting. We can see God truly working in these days, but we can also see Satan quite at work as well. God is bringing everything to a close, folks. We are living in the last hours, and Jesus is coming. In fact, next week when you come back here, we're going to pick it up in verse 28 where he talks about the return of the Lord and how does that affect our fellowship and our spiritual growth. Just leave you with this tonight. There's probably not a one of us in this room tonight, and maybe it was us for a time, that doesn't know somebody that at least claimed to be a Christian at some point in their life who somewhere along the line, they got way off track with God and they're, they're way out there. We all know of somebody like that. That's why this is so important. That's why getting more people into Bible studies and and getting more people into the Bible and growing and and heightening our discernment is so important, folks. Because there's not a one of us that doesn't know of somebody that hasn't been duped, that hasn't taken the bait, that hasn't followed the deceiving spirits and the doctrines of demons and turned away from the truth and just swallowed what was false, hook, line, and sinker. We all know of people like that. 
And yet how hard it is to get people to fill up seats in a Bible study. Because for them it's not a value. And yet they're out there trying to pedal life harder and harder, not realizing that they just took a little bit more time to get grounded and rooted and grow in their discernment and in their walk with God that maybe they wouldn't have to pedal so hard because maybe they could learn some tools and skills that would actually make life a little bit more manageable. But again, that's what Satan does. Keep pedaling faster. You'll get there eventually. And so they keep pedaling, keep running themselves into the ground, keep thinking if I just work harder and just work longer and just figure this out a little bit more and just keep pushing, somehow it's going to break for me. And I love what Eric said. We just need to get to a point in our lives as Christians where we are still and know that he is God and where we rest in him and where he is our all in all and where we don't allow the things around us to shake us, but that we stand upon the rock of Jesus Christ. The only one that we need in our life. When we come to the place in our life where he's all that we have, then we realize he's all that we need. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge. God, because we all need it because we're living in such a heightened age of deception. So many false prophets, so many false teachers. So much satanic deception. So many people being blinded from the truth. God, we need to step up. We need to acquaint ourselves with the truth. We need to get busy about knowing the book. And we need to tune into the Holy Spirit who you've given us as an anointing within us to be able to discern between what's right and what's wrong and what's true and what's false. So that we don't fall prey to the distractions of Satan. God, thank you for these precious reminders. Thank you for these incentives for growth. That we can know the times, that we can know the truth, and that we can stay on track as Christians if we'll simply keep growing. God, thank you for these folks on Tuesday night. They certainly have a heart for spiritual growth. Would you bless them tonight and this coming week and just be near to them and just continue to grow them and encourage them as only you as God can do and bring us back next week where we might be more rooted and build up and more firm in our faith through what we study next week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, I love you. Thanks for being here. Have a great week.